Hello, my name is Father Jacob, creator and founder of Region Catholic. Region Catholic is a platform used to teach the Catholic faith with the flavor of Northwest Indiana, also known as the Region. If you like this content, then like, comment, or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And better yet, share this, regioncatholic.com, with a friend. If you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon page, found at regioncatholic.com, where you can support us at three levels, get shoutouts on our podcasts, or get your hands on exclusive merchandise. Thank you for your support, enjoy the podcast, and God bless you. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Chosen the Podcast. Uh, I am Adam Anton, and I'm joined by Father Jacob, and we are super excited to be with you today for actually our first ever live recording of Chosen. Nice. Live. First time. That's what I said. Too bad there's not like an applause sign in the studio right now. Anybody out there? Yeah. There yeah. There we go. Okay. Nice. I was nervous there. Like, it's like that moment, like at mass, if you know, if you're presiding, then you like have an entry like line, you know, and then no one says anything back to you. Yeah, I've never had that experience. Yeah, there you go. Good. All right. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, we're super excited. We're we're here at Saint Teresa of Avila Catholic Student Center uh, in Valpo. And we are here because uh, SEEK 2021 is happening. It's through uh, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. We've actually mentioned them uh, at different points on the podcast. Indeed. And um, so the, it's their big conference that they have each year. It alternates between SEEK and SLS. But um, they were doing it differently this year because of COVID and that kind of threw a wrench into things. So campuses are doing it locally. And so um, for Valparaiso University, St. Teresa, is uh, spearheading that effort. So the focus missionaries and the different team members here at St. T's are, are taking that to uh, to task. And so they invited us here to chat a little bit on the podcast. So uh, before we get into the, t- the uh, topic, Father, why don't you uh, share a little bit of your experience with focus and um, conferences you've been to? Yeah. So um, I myself, I went to uh, the focus conference a while ago in Orlando it was one of the nice. first, uh, yeah, the first big ones. Sunny Orlando. Yeah, and then there was another one in Nashville, I think, at one point, and then at some point as well, I went to the like leadership summit, like SLS. Um, I don't remember where that was, but nonetheless, quite the experience of many different focus conferences. Um, I do remember one of the key experiences being like there was a like party night kind of thing where yeah. someone would sing. I'm glad that's what you remembered the party night. Well, yeah, that was memorable. Um, but, I mean, not to mention, like, they also had, like, a couple's night. Like, it was kind of like square dancing. Like, and obviously that went another direction uh, for me. But I never really enjoyed those nights. I would kind of <laughs> hang out in the hotel room. But you, uh, weren't, you weren't shredding up the dance floor? Nah, never really been much for dancing myself. Okay. And now as a priest, we're actually not allowed to dance. So it makes sense, yeah. I'm just kidding. No, I was going to say, yeah. I don't think that's a rule. Yeah, that's not a rule. Yeah. <laughs> it's convincing, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it yeah. could be. It's a good excuse. I mean, it's realistic. Tell you, you know? what, if you at, were at uh, Molly and I's reception for our wedding, you would know that's a lie. I mean, the people I, shredding up the dance floor most were the priests. They took their suit jackets off, and they were going after it. And um, Notably not this one, but you, whatever. You yeah. did not. Yeah, no, I didn't at all. You did not. So... <laughs> Um, oh well, what can I say? Yeah, I mean, is there is there something that from your experiences with the um, focus conferences? I mean, you mentioned that night, but like things that you particularly remember, whether it's like a talk or whether it was like a moment in 
um, the the course of the conference that sticks with you even now? Well, uh, I went to a Focus Greek conference. Um, they they did like separate Focus Greek conferences from like overall seat conferences once upon a time. Um, and so, if you were a member of Fraternity Life or Sorority Life, um, then you had the chance to oh, I'm getting I'm, the better. Um, you had the chance to go to a conference, kind of like with fellow Greek members of Greek Life. Um, and I remember it was the first time where anyone had ever challenged me to be a saint. Hmm. And then uh, the priest that was giving the talk said, like, right now, um, like, pray to God that you want to be a saint. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never done this. Like, okay. Uh, and then um, that was kind of like one of the confirming moments uh, to pursue priesthood. Yeah. Because that was in that moment where it was like priesthood. I'm like, oh, that's... That's good. That's, you know? that's something to think about. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but, you know, hey, we all find it in one way or another. So I had, uh, I mean, when you were mentioning that, two thoughts popped into my head. One was, um, I don't know if anybody in our audience here has ever heard of uh, Father Gregory Pine. Uh, he does, like, uh, podcasts with uh, Matt Fred on Pines with Aquinas. Um, he uh, is a really, really bright guy. But uh, I was listening to a talk that he was giving the other day, and he was saying, he was kind of critiquing how we pray. So he was saying, like, oftentimes we'll go to prayer and we'll be like, Lord, like, uh, whatever, you just got to tell me, like, whatever, and whatever you want me to do, like, I'll do. And and he's like, and that's a really good disposition. We want to be open to the Lord and do what he wants us to do. He's like, but frankly, I think we need to go into prayer and be like, Lord, this is what I want. And what do you what do you feel about that? What do you think about that? And how would you change that? He's like, we just need to be more forthright in, in just – identifying what our wants, our desires are, and allowing the Lord to form and shape those. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing, too, that jumped out. Well, uh, so just want to point out, like, your recollection of these great things from your conference was, like, pretty in-depth. I just had, like, a little moment. But you're, like, you remember this stuff really well. That's great, man. Well, I mean, that wasn't even from the conference. That was just, <laughs> oh, okay. I just heard that in a talk yesterday. Oh, but okay. Anyway, That's yeah, why it was sorry. so fresh. But yeah. uh, the other thing, too, I mean, what you were describing when you were, like, wanting to be a saint, uh, reminds me of what your favorite saint, Thomas Aquinas, that you mentioned in one of the previous episodes, um, had mentioned, you know, his uh, sister had asked him, you know, Thomas, how do I become a saint? And he said, will it? So um, we have to explicitly really each day claim that desire uh, for holiness and for sainthood and for Christ. So um, that's awesome. You are you are following the path of your favorite saint. Nice. Well, in more ways than one. He was also known for his notable size. So. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different ways you can follow after holiness. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't think you're quite there. They used to in the monastery they would cut out a portion of the table for Aquinas's stomach, so I don't think you're there yet. I, I don't know. I mean, the monastery table just might have been smaller than the ones now, but who knows, right? There was a brother <laughs> assigned to sit near Aquinas to make sure that he didn't eat anything that was unedible because he would be like reading or or like thinking very in depth, and then. So somebody was charged with making sure that he didn't eat something he wasn't supposed to. Again, you're not you're not there at all. No, that's good. Yeah. Though I mean, I guess there could be some takers for that. You know, I mean, Adam might need to help me with that one. I'll day. help. We'll you. I'll help yeah. you out. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Nice. So, nice. Um, yeah. In terms of, I mean, you're with the the conference. Went to. What was nice was the the ones that I went to, with the exception of the last one. So the first one that I went to was in Chicago, and then the one in Indy. So it was kind of nice because those were super close. Um, and then uh, Arizona, so that was the last one. Um, but in terms of memorable for me, uh, I went with a, a really fun group of people. 
So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to work here at St. T's, and so I went with the what people from St. Well, T's. It's like they know you already. That's I know. Awesome. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. They still they still invite me around, so I think that's that's a plus. But, oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, so they, maybe they don't really know you then, huh? That's right. Yeah. They haven't gotten to know me yeah. yet. <laughs> um, but in terms of one of the things that really sticks out to me, obviously it looks different this year, but from those other years, like everybody storming to get a seat because – there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. So that's number one. So there's like so many young people there. So the faith is, you see the, the vibrancy of the faith truly alive, number one. Number two, uh, there's something competitive about trying to get to <laughs> the seats that you want, um, which, you know, that does, you know, that can always go south, I suppose. But number, number three, um, seeing all the different flags, that was a lot of fun. Like all the flags from all the different universities. And then there was a certain point where it's like even different countries too, because focus is. You know, and international, international, right? yeah. yeah. So, um, so that was really cool, and um, I don't know. I I mentioned Father Gregory Pine. I met him at one of uh, the one in Arizona, so that was cool. And then, um, like hearing people like Peter Kraft and mm-hmm. all that. I met uh, Father Mike Smith at a Focus conference. Yeah. And you know the, what? Have you have any of you ever met him in person before? Or, like seen him in person? Yeah. Like he's notably shorter than what you'd expect, in my experience, right? Yeah. So don't no offense, Father not, Mike. Not if you're that out there's there. anything wrong yeah. with that. No, no, but like I envisioned like this like you know guy like my height or like you know tall dude and like he's going after it. He's like getting all these podcast followers. He's got all this ministry, and then I encountered him and was like, oh, nice, great guy. Not what I expected in the full though. I'll be honest. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, so there it goes. So um, now, yeah. I'm, now I'm going to get sued by Father Mike Smith <laughs> now or something. We'll see. But um, yeah, so I think. Um, Obviously, we've had really beautiful experiences with uh, the different focus conferences, and that's why we're super blessed to be here. And uh, we asked the missionaries here at St. Teresa, you know, like, what would be a good topic to talk about? And so they suggested that we spend a little bit of time talking about holy discernment, whether that is in the context of dating, whether that's the context of holy discernment of um, priesthood, but particularly through the lens of, like, college years. I mean, they're very formative years and time in our life and so um i don't know father i mean where would you like to pick up off that college years discernment striving for holiness yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think like first and foremost when um i thought about um some advice or some things that i've heard about dating particularly from the perspective of priests before when they offer it um one of the one this is like the one of the more controversial things we can start there i guess um, good nice. spot, Just right? ease yeah. our way right yeah, into it. Right yeah. in. No, he said, he, this priest said to a group of high school students, and then there was a few, like, um, college-age students there as well, that when they're dating, that they should date, like, from, like, one person to the next and have, like, a very low level. I know this is, like, this is like it'll, it'll get better, don't worry. But, like, uh, in the sense of, like, as soon as they, like, when they're first starting to date people, like, don't try and necessarily find incredible emotional depth when you start off dating with people. And I'm thinking, like, listening to this talk, like, ah, this doesn't sound very appealing. But then he was like, but there's a certain sense of how we need to guard our hearts when we're dating people and when we're, like, getting into um, experience of a relationship that there's a certain sense of where if you're just dating a lot of different people and, like, you know a lot of different people, whether it's, like, you know, more of like a college setting or like Newman Center setting, then there's a certain sense at which there's a certain freedom 
with which you can interact with different people and that there's a low level of reality of like necessarily like emotional depth right at the beginning of dating people. Um, and then that way there's a certain sense of like everyone's on the same page and that there's a certain sense of clear communication. But the clear thing though is you need to actually define, you know, define the relationship. Have you guys ever heard that before? Yeah. So, so there's some nodding heads here for those of you who can't <laughs> see at home. But I mean, so there's a certain sense of that reality of like, you know, clear communication about, um, you know, like intentions and what's happening and what's unfolding. And then, uh, I mean, I don't know, that was a kind of like a weak suit for me, mm -hmm. um, like in my own, um, you know, like dating experience, like early on in high school, you know, it was like uh, writing notes. And I'm like, looking back on that, it was like, I was like 16. I wasn't like 12 or like 11, you know, that was weird. <laughs> so I guess that kind of you know, was a disposition to like where I ended up now. Like it didn't really, you know, go that direction, obviously. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's, what, that's why you embrace celibacy is because yeah. you were still writing notes at 16? Yeah, yeah. So that worked out well, you know, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. So I guess because that's a, that's a perspective that I hadn't really heard before. Like keep it really broad and don't, don't go like in depth. But, like, at a certain point, how would you make a pivot then? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, if you continue going throughout your lifetime like that, then you're not really going to be doing anything meaningful in terms of a life of discernment, um, you know, with dating relationships. So there's got to be a certain point when there's the realization on both parties that there's going to be something more in-depth and something more meaningful to both people. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Is there something, like more clear that can happen in a certain instance where it's like it can turn to that direction or what do you think yeah i don't know i um as i reflect on that question in terms of the um progression of like dating or discernment in that context um i when i was working here at st t's um and uh, we would be finishing up a school year i would give a book to the peer ministers one of the books that i would give them is called The Defining Decade. It's by a clinical psychologist named Megan Jay. And um, uh, she says that the defining decade is like the decade in um, your 20s. And so basically what she talks about is, okay, so when you think back to our grandparents' generation or even the generation before that, uh, there wasn't really this concept of, uh, oh, I'm like, I'm just a teenager and like, we're just having fun and like, you know, I have license to be irresponsible because, like, I'm a teenager and that's, like, cool. Um, in our grandparents' generation or the generation before that, it was, like, you were 14 or 15 and you were um, helping to support the family or you were out in the fields, like, working. There wasn't this concept of, like, oh, I have this lax period where what I do or what I say doesn't really matter. And then um, she was talking about how that slowly has started to spread into the 20s. So, like... Um, so now when you talk to people, not only is it like, well, I'm just a teenager, this and that. Now it's like, well, I'm in my 20s. So, like, I'm supposed to be, like, rebellious and not have to make really important decisions or, like. Going off the deep end. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, you yeah. know. And and so it's gotten pushed back to, like, the 30s now, right? I mean, the cultural trend, you see that. Like, the average age for people getting married is getting older. Um, and so. Which is fine, but I think that we have to ask ourselves the question as to why that is. And, um, you know, I think part of that is um, recognizing that even when we're young, uh, even when we're like in college and, you know, soon after, um, we are living with purpose, that we have a purpose, and um, 
And so I think in the context of dating, it's like discovering or in the context of broader discernment of that, be it of religious life or a priesthood, it's like discovering that purpose, coming to an understanding of that purpose, not just for the future, because our vocation isn't solely about the future. It's about like, who am I today? Like, who, who am I today? Who is God calling today um, to serve him? And so um, it's very Hallmarkian, if that's a word, but it's like... You just made it up, so it sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. So... You should call me Webster from now on. There you go. Okay. Nice, nice. I so, like it, yeah. Um, it's very Hallmarkian, but it's like the whole concept of, you know, it's about the journey. It's not just about the destination. And I don't know. I think that there's a certain degree where that's that's somewhat true in discernment. Um, I think that it's it's in that process of praying and, and encountering people, including the Lord in our prayer, that we come to know who we are more. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a certain sense of... Um, when I would think about guys that I was with in the seminary or, like, um, guys that I knew and, like, young women that I knew, like, at the um, Newman Center I was at. I went to um, college before I went to seminary. Um, and so there was, like, there's definitely this temptation, no matter what your pursuit is, that there's you get stuck in, like, this desire to live, like, in the future, like you were saying, yeah. where it's, like, this perpetual, like, cycle of like desiring of what could be tomorrow um, rather than like what you have right now in this exact moment. Um, so like in the seminary, it was it was very like palpable. Like there would be guys that would just kind of fixate on like being ordained and moving on when there was really like a lot more things to get done in the immediate present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for relationships too, there can be that reality of, you know, that, you know, men and women, young men and young women, like, will desire, like, the future spouse later and kind of think about and dream about and imagine how they could be and, like, what that will look like. And that's definitely a good sign in terms of discernment, like, when we think about and imagine, like, what our future vocation could be and, like, what draws us into that and what good things draw us into it. But then if we keep, you know, living in that reality, then we'll kind of miss the other people around us that, you know, potentially God is calling us to in that moment, um, whether it's of service or of a future, um, you know, spouse or that kind of thing too. So yeah, and it makes me think. I mean, and to counter that, I I think I definitely fall into the camp of being one of those people who, when I was in seminary, when I was in college, I mean, you can ask my wife. Even now, I'm a very like future oriented person. Like I no you yeah I don't know yeah so, right, yeah it's probably a control <laughs> thing, but uh, so. I would always want to be knowing like what's next or like because I would always be concerned about, well, what if I miss something, right? So like if I'm dating somebody, well, uh, I need to be super vigilant all the time because what if I miss something? Like what if they're not supposed, what if I'm not supposed to be with them or like in my prayer, I'm like super vigilant all the time because it's like what if I'm supposed to be a priest or a sister, but I'm like missing that call and because it's a really awesome thing. And um, I think part of what can take the pressure off is just um, putting yourself in a place to be found. And um in one of uh, our earlier episodes in prayer, we talked about that. I mentioned a story about um, this priest who was blind, and he liked to go on walks. And um, he would leave the rectory, and, I mean, he had been blind for a while, so he knew the, the pace of how many steps it took to get around the church. And uh, so one day he walked out of the rectory, and I don't know if there was, like, a horn or something distracted him, and he lost his footing. He, he lost, like, how many steps he was at. So... Um, he didn't know where to go, and he didn't know how to get home. So um, he went and sat in the middle of the road. And uh, so he's sitting in the middle of the road. He doesn't know where his home is. 
and he hears a car start coming and he's freaking out a little bit internally. He's like, uh, I really hope that they stop. And so he hears the car coming closer and closer and closer and then finally the car stops. And then the, he hears the door open and the person says, you know, Father, why are you sitting in the middle of the road? And it was a parishioner of his. He's like, I lost my, my count and I, I couldn't make it back. And um, they said, why did you, why did you, he got in the car and they're driving. And he's like, why did you sit in the middle of the road? And he's like, you know, when I'm lost, I, I have to put myself in a place where I can be found and then I can find direction back. And so, I mean, in the context of discernment and especially in a place like the college years, I mean, I think that's, that's the thrust. Like that's the goal. Are we putting ourselves in a place to be found um, most obviously by the Lord, like in our prayer, are, are we intentional about our prayer? But also like, I don't know, Father, you were mentioning to me yesterday, we were, we were chatting a little bit, like putting ourselves in a place to be found by like people who we can wholesomely connect with, uh, who share our values and our vision for our life. Um, I mean, especially, yes, in the broader context of friendship, but like dating, right? Like am I, where am I meeting the person that I'm dating? Like what am I sharing in common with them? Uh, what are we talking about together? Things like that. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, I mean, certainly there's going to be hopefully, you know, like the reality of wholesomeness and beauty is going to be found in a setting uh, like this, whether it's like conferences or at the Newman Center or at the Student Center here. Um, and like nothing against like, you know, the sketchy dive bar probably down the road, like nothing in particular. But there's the reality that, you know, maybe at like 1.30 in the morning at the sketchy dive bar, like that's not going to be the place where I not, might not encounter, you know, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you will, but in all likelihood, it might not be the encounter that you want to have in terms of wholesomeness of friendships right. and relationships, right? So, yeah. so um, I don't know. We've been talking for a little while, and uh, that's fun and everything. But we also want to, because this is our first like opportunity of being live, uh, offer the opportunity for some questions. I don't know if, if you'd be good with that, Father, at this yeah, point. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So um, does anybody have anything based off of what we're talking about or just more broadly, I guess, that you would like us to talk about any questions they're all they're all ready to ask yeah, questions like they're, ju they're just trying to decide who's going first I okay know, yeah right. there you go what and then what's your name shelby, shelby where are you from Nice. And nice. You, you go to Valpa? Yeah. What's your major? I'm a health doctor. Nice. Okay, so, and your question was, what is the best piece of dating advice? You have ever received, yeah. Like, you personally ever received. Hmm. What do you think, Padre? Um, you know, when I um, started uh, uh, dating in high school, um, I, you know, and I would start to interact uh, you know, with different relationships and different people in my class. My, my dad told me early on, he said, you know, um, there's something about uh, that's, that's nice when you're younger and when, you know, especially like in your teenage and young adult years that, um, you know, that you're kind of free-spirited and there's kind of like, we kind of referring to that reality of, you know, like a lack of responsibility and carrying that on too long. But um, there's this kind of that sense, you know, um, like in your 20s. And he said, um, but still, Remember when you meet uh, this person's parents, can you see them as being a part of their family just as much as can you see the person you're dating? So in my sense, you know, her 
can you see her being a part of our family? Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's pretty solid. And uh, I mean, I, I think about that and I think about the times that I've counseled people um, or I've talked with friends about that same reality and I kind of give on uh, that same advice. And I mean, sometimes like, you know, you can see yourself being a part of this person's future life and future family. Like you can envision like, you know, holidays unfolding in that particular way. And other ways when you start to become honest with yourself, you're like, ah, maybe not. I don't know. And you think about it a little bit more. But that'd be probably one of mine. What do you think, Adam? For me, I think the, the best advice was uh, it's very difficult to be in a relationship and analyze a relationship at the same time. So you're, you're going to have to um, really kind of choose one of, the, one of the other. That's not to say that you go into a relationship just, you know. No, that's what I heard. Just like aimlessly. Yeah, yeah. No, aimlessly yeah. and blindly <laughs> just moving forward. But um, if you are, if you're planting grass and then ripping it up to look at the roots to make sure it's growing every day, it's not going to grow really fast. So nice. um, there's, a mean, hom- there's a homily there. I'm going to he- make note of that. Thanks. Nice. Anyway, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> So Man, I think that's solid. I think that we need to kind of make it make that decision. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to be in the relationship. Um, yes, I will be reflective about it, but I'm not going to analyze it the entire time that I'm in it. I'm going to trust that if I put myself in it fully, that the Lord, if he is a central part of that relationship, is going to guide it where it needs to go. Nice. If I could add one thing too, um, now that I've been um, a priest for a little while, like um, the realization has come to me that uh, no one is ever going to date or marry an angel. So, like, no one is going to be perfect. So, I mean, and that's kind of, and it's, it's like, yeah, like. I looked at Molly, and I was trying to think of something suave to say, but I just didn't come out. <laughs> well, no, no. But, I did. Yeah, no, I was like Captain Buzzkill kind of thing, right? But, no. I mean, but there's a certain sense of which we're going, like, Part of being vulnerable with someone and part of being uh, in that in that reality with someone is that, you know, they're not going to be perfect. So, yeah. um, and I mean, not to mention, too, like that thing that applies to friendships as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Other, other questions? Thanks for going first, Shelby. So, when did you realize that the person that you're with is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, that's a good one for you, Adam. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I mean, for, for people who have listened to the pod, I mean, uh, if anybody's heard the story, um, I can remember the day that I knew that I was going to ask Molly to marry me. It was the third Sunday of Easter in 2019. Yes. Go with it. Keep going. Yeah. You're good. You're good. It was the third Sunday of Easter in 2019, and um, the scripture passage that jumped out to me was, uh, so Jesus, it's a resurrection account, so Jesus, um, you know, he res- he rises from the dead, and but the apostles are, like, out fishing. They're trying to figure out what their life's going to look like because they still think Jesus is dead, and so they go back to what they know, and um, so he's out fi- they're out fishing, and Jesus comes to the shore and um, tells them to cast the net to the other side because they hadn't kept like they didn't catch any fish all night and then um when they did so they brought in this uh, like bunch of fish and um at that point john who was in the boat the beloved disciple was like oh my gosh like it's jesus it's the lord and then peter jumps out of the boat and like swims to, to shore and um i remember reading this passage on the morning of the third sunday of easter 
And the question that stood in my mind was like, why did, what prompted Peter to jump out of the boat? Um, and then as I was reflecting on the, the story more, I realized that that same passage, the progression of that story, so like Jesus coming to the shore, telling them to cut, like toss the net to the other side, it's the exact same thing that happened the first time that Peter met Jesus. Um, and so there was probably like a moment where Peter was like, oh, okay, like I recognize the pattern of what's happening here. Like I've seen the Lord work this way in my life before and consistently. And then he had his like really close friend, John, who was like, yeah, you can trust what you're seeing here. It's the Lord, right? Like you can trust that. And, but there was still a moment where Peter had to like, even though he had the confirmation of his friends, even though he, he had recognized the pattern, like he had to make the, the choice to take the leap. And, um, and it's interesting in that story, like it talks about them getting to shore and there's the, the detail of like nobody dared to ask him who he was because they already know they already knew it was the Lord. And I think to myself, like I would have totally asked if that was Jesus. Like if I would have got to show up, like, yeah, Jesus, is that you? Right. Like, but I think the apostles um, knew something that I didn't, which is like at a certain point, you have to stop asking yourself questions that you already know the answers to, um, which is really difficult because once you answer a question for yourself, you start living life differently as a result. Right. And that's that's even shown in the story. So Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, OK, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, yeah. He's like, OK, feed my lambs. Right. Like you you um, you recognize this, you choose this. And now there's going to be like responsibility expected. And so um, all that to say, um, Molly and I had been dating for like two years or two and a half years. And um, as I was praying with that passage, there's just kind of a moment where it was like, are you are you going to jump out of the boat or are you going to stay in the boat? Um, are you are you going to take that leap or not? And I had seen how the Lord had continued drawing us together, and and it was affirmed by my spiritual director and my close friends, and um, and so it, it was like a, a sense that okay, like the Lord is now looking at me and saying, all right, uh, do you love me? Like, do you love Molly? It's like, yeah, like, okay, serve, you know, live that out. Um, so I think that was that would be the moment that was that encapsulated that for me. So. It's it's kind of hard to follow that one up. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh man. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a good day. I yeah. Think. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the un, the understatement of the century, right? Yeah. yeah. No, and I mean, it, what stuck out to me though, it's it's really interesting, is um that there's kind of like this sentiment of like other people even knew, like before even you yourself knew, like you said some of your close friends and like spiritual director and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the exact same reality. Uh, for my own discernment and many discernment as well of uh, different people that have entered into religious life and priesthood, like other people have a recognition of around you of like, yeah, he's going to do that or she's going to do that. And then like the other per the person themselves, though, like they might live, be in like a state of not ready for it or like of not desiring it. And I mean, it's definitely true, I think, for many of us. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for the question. Other thoughts or questions? Yeah, we got one right there. Nice and loud. Um, hi, my name is Dana. Um, so you said um, no one is going to be an angel, right? So how would you, um, how would you discern between like, oh, something you can just look over, or maybe like a red flag to look out for? Mm. Yeah. So in marriage prep, um, I'm. I'm currently preparing uh, four couples right now for marriage uh, this coming summer through the fall. And um, one of the things that we picked up on in seminary was 
that you kind of start to um, when you when you meet the couple, like you go through with them, like um, you know certain certain questions about like their own story, like the narrative, like um, kind of how they met, how they got engaged, like what that looked like, and everything. And I learned early on that there was a canon lawyer um, that was at the seminary that said that he would interview couples in the same way of which would happen in annulment process. And like, not that, uh, not that he was like anticipating something to be wrong or something, right? But he, he, he like wanted to hear that narrative in the same way of which he had encountered people on the other side of like failed relationships. And then he would talk to them about the points that stuck out. So like what stuck out for him was like, um, you know, of course, like you, there's, there has to be a certain reality, like you mentioned and of what I said of like that people aren't angels and that, um, you know, we're not perfect. But if there's a constant desire that you feel it's like your mission to change something about the other person that like that you just you, you recognize like this quality or there's a certain way that they carry themselves or that's a part of their life and that you have a, a desire to change that. Um, that would probably be the first thing of like it probably you'll probably will not be able to <laughs> that's kind of the reality of it and that if you can't either look past it or learn to live with that reality whether it could be a good thing or bad thing then it's probably something that you want to steer clear of um, in that reality of relationship so that's the first thing is that um, we really can't uh, change you know other people in that certain way whether that's with a relationship or just like in friendship with someone um, also too like uh, there's a there's a certain um, red flag too when you encounter couples where like the narrative is totally different, where you start to see, especially um, in my own experience of uh, marriages of people that have like failed or that they've deteriorated, is that the narrative of like how they met or how they've endured or like what's unfolded in their relationship has is radically different. So you would you would ask I'd, I'd ask people separately like what's your story, how did you meet, like how did this happen? And like one spouse would be totally different from the other one. Or like um, there's, uh, there's some, some examples too or some stories as well of like where one, per, one uh, engaged like the man, you know, uh, bride-to-be, groom-to-be, like they have totally different stories of like how this unfolded. And it's not just attributed to like, you know, that some guys will like forget milestones or something, like the stereotypical thing, but like, it was just like radically different about how they met or like high points or highlights. And it's just like, whoa, like, are, are we talking about the same relationship here? You know, <laughs> like, is this the same story? Is this the same like um, reality of what brought these people together? So that's been another big thing, um, you know, when, you know, in, in the couples I've, I've been preparing, it's all been great and very positive that like, you know, they have the same narrative and same story and that they can both share it and find joy in it. But if it starts to deviate, then, like, it's, it's not very good. So that's another thing that you can be mindful of, too. Yeah, I think kind of going off that with what Father was saying, um, you know, when we get into that space where we start seeing uh, people as projects as opposed to people, um, you know, it's like there are projects in our life, right? Like there are areas that we can grow and be better. Um, but if you are the uh, supervisor and the uh, laborer of that project and the other person is – uh, doesn't know that the project is happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. going to be a problem. <laughs> but uh, if it's if you guys are both working at the project together, that's a different story. So I think that um, you know, uh, going along with what we've been saying, right? Like nobody's an angel. I think a a, a green flag 
Is that a thing? So that's, the opposite of a red flag. That's positive. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. The opposite of a yeah. red flag yeah. um, would be a person who recognizes that they're not an angel, right? So um, we were talking about, you know, Father was saying, like, it's very difficult or near impossible to change people, right? Um, but a big motivating factor of change is the person themselves. So if you are dating somebody who um, has an awareness that they're not perfect, you know, who they, they do have struggles and issues, but they have an awareness of those, um, that you're able to communicate freely about those. I mean, there's always, we, we never want to see the, the difficult parts of our life, right? But if they at least have a capacity to like touch on it a little bit and like engage you in conversation, that's a good thing. Um, and um, so I think in terms of a green flag, it would be humility to, enough to know that I have flaws and I need to work on them and I'm going to invite you into that process. I'm not going to ask you to take charge of that process, but I desire for you to be, you know, play a role with it. Um, and there was something else too. What was the last thing that you said? Um, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> that works out well for the live the live part. Yeah. I don't know. We might have cut at that point and like played it back, but it's no, too yeah, late it's, now. It's you know? not. A, no, it's all good. <laughs> um, but I just think that. Oh, oh, okay. So nice. the other piece of what I was going to mention was like, um, you know, fundamentally we're we're talking in the context context of seek, right? And so we're here. We're seeking to develop the relationship with our Lord. And so if we're talking about a relationship like a dating relationship, the question becomes, what is the center of our relationship? Like, what is the foundation of our relationship? Um, if the answer is not uh, faith, if the answer is not Christ, if the answer is not shared values, um, it's going to be really difficult. And s- some people might say, well, you're just saying that because, you know, you're Catholic and you have to say that stuff. And it's like, no. Because fundamentally, if that piece isn't there and you're just left with two non-angels, then there, there's no sense of stability. And it, there's no way that it's going to, at least if you have two non-angels and Christ in the center, you know, when things get, there's friction or there's difficulty, then you can lean on Christ in those moments, in those moments where you feel like it's more difficult to lean on the other. Um, and Aristotle talks about that in terms of falling in love with the third. But that's, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's what I would say. Awesome. Isn't this more fun? What is the time frame? When do we have to finish? Oh, okay. (laughs) What's that? Okay. Nice. The producer. Nice. Sweet. Okay. Um, Kind of going off that, like you said, if faith is the foundation, um, what if, let's say, like I meet someone, but he's not Catholic? Um, yeah, and just pursuing a, a relationship with someone who's not Catholic, like I'm really into the sacraments and experiencing the sacraments, but this person doesn't believe in the sacraments, like what's the best way to go about that? Hmm. So there's a couple um, every week at my parish that um, the husband is Catholic and the wife is um, like a, a different denomination of Christianity, and they attend uh, Mass very faithfully every week. And they still approach, um, like, when it comes to time to communion, like, uh, both of them will still approach together, arm in arm, and, like, he will receive uh, the Blessed Sacrament, and then oftentimes, like, she'll, she'll receive a blessing, um, you know, if she's in, like, my line kind of thing. But there's kind of that reality of their relationship that 
though it's something that they don't share necessarily like in their in their Catholic faith in the same way, um, there is still like I can see in them and through their witness like this radical reality that they're still centered on Christ. Um, so then when it comes to someone though that doesn't share um, that conviction of you know believing in Christ, um, obviously there's going to be challenges there that would present themselves that wouldn't be necessarily present. Um, in that reality, if you both share that same conviction. Um, but I would say, like, I have seen people's lives, as I'm sure all of you have too, that um, successful relationships and marriages that have worked of one person uh, that believes in, in Christ and another that doesn't. Um, but I think what's key is, like, if you have this conviction that um, of whether it's, like, shared values or love for each other, that, I mean, I do think it is possible that, like life and you know love will be fruitful and like that relationship can be loving um but i mean there's definitely going to be a host of challenges that presents themselves that will not be the same you know whether it's like you know like how to catechize like your family and like if they're going to come to church whose church how will that look how will that work um and then there's a a story as well of um there's a, a couple one was uh jewish and one was catholic and the kids would go, um, you know, to, like, faith formation at, like, the synagogue one day. And then at the other day, they would go to, like, Sunday school at the Catholic parish. And so, like, they would bring up answers for what they learned from the different ones. And then the teacher would be like, no, 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 no. like, we're, we're at this one. So, like, it's the other one. And I'm like, oh, right, 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 sorry, you know. And so there was, like, an innocence in, in, in you know, to the to children's lives there. And I mean, you know, but there's there's a recognition of, like, that kind of confusion is going to come and happen, and it doesn't have to be necessarily the end or, or a terrible thing, but it's going to be conversations that happen. You know, like, Mom, why do you believe what you do, and why is Dad different, or vice versa, you know? So what do you think, Adam? Hmm. Yeah, I agree. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, next question. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. I don't – yeah, I don't necessarily – I mean, I'm not God, so I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that it's impossible for something like that. I think. I think the challenging part would be, especially so. For example, I think you mentioned like the sacraments, right? Like the sacraments are a really important part of my life. Um, you know, one of the things about gifts is we want to share them, and so I think part of like the challenge that could happen is like, you know, I I treasure the sacraments so much. They're they're so inherent in my Catholic faith, which is so inherent in me. Like this is just a big part of who I am. And a fundamental dimension of relationship is like giving of myself, right? Like I'm, I'm desiring to give myself to this person. And so like, uh, you know, that, that can still happen, but it's almost like there's a dimension that isn't, isn't fully being shared in the same way. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if we are going to pursue a relationship with somebody who does not share the same faith, I think that one thing that is important and father kind of touched on is, is, you know, making those implicit rules explicit. So, I think yeah, we live our that's life. A, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, in such a way that, like, we, based on life experiences and history, like, we have implicit rules, right, that we, we keep in mind and we follow. And, and then um, we notice this when we get annoyed with people, right? Like, and, you know, they do something and then we get really mad. And then it's like, well, why am I really mad at this person? It's like, oh, I, like, I am expecting them to know that that bothers me or, like, that that's something that I don't like. But that's an implicit rule. I've never actually expressed that to them, right? So in the same way with, like, our expectations about the life of faith in the context of the relationship. And then if it like moves further along, like in the context of a future family, it's like, okay, um, that, 
that conversation would have to be very like clear, I think, in terms of how are we how are we going to incorporate faith into the relationship? Um, what is that going to look like if it gets to a point where like kids are involved? It's like how are we going to raise them? And that I think those implicit thoughts uh, would have to be very explicit. So, so all right, last question. One more. Here we go. Um, it's funny because I think I just heard in, maybe it was a talk or a book or something, um, that like the, um, the Christian life, um, to a certain reality, like particularly with like Advent, we kind of associate with anticipation or waiting. Um, but then it's been commented too that really the entirety of our lives is about waiting, <laughs> that no matter, you know, what we're called to that we're all anticipating uh, the reality of heavenly kingdom and that, you know, we can live and experience certain aspects of that on earth um, through the church and through grace and uh, through the joys of other people in our lives. But the fullness of that is going to be something um, that will be something that we receive, you know, you know, obviously at a different time when we talk about eternal life. But so there's a certain sense of which we can like wait well, particularly when we think about, you know, eternal life, you know, of course, but, also as well in which we can um, wait in anticipation of something that we truly desire, whether that's, you know, discernment or relationships or what have you. And I think there can be, we've, we've kind of maybe hit on a little bit of it before, like there's a sense of, um, you know, if we, if we live too much into um, what could be or what we desire for later, then we don't appreciate the present. But there's a certain sense too of which we can wait well um, when we're truly embodying, um, I think, the reality of what God wants for us is when we wait um, in the sense of patience, that there's going to be anticipation that God will give us the blessings that we desire and that we can have faith in that. And I think that's really something to hang our hat on, is that though it might not be something fully realized now that we can uh, be assured that, you know, our God's a loving Father that wants to satisfy those desires and um, particularly the ones that will draw us towards him, and then over time, we'll realize, too, that maybe some of those desires that we had, that even good, um, will not be fulfilled in the same sense because God has something even better uh, waiting for us. So, I don't know. Adam, what do you think? I think that, uh, I think waiting purifies us. I think that, um, like, when we wait, it provides us an opportunity to realize or put into perspective what we're waiting for. So, for example, um, whether it's priesthood or marriage, right? Um, you know, a unhelpful form of waiting, I think, is like when we're waiting, but like we're, re we're really anxious. And I think the anxiousness speaks to uh, an underlying belief or idea that what I'm waiting for, once I get it, it will be okay, right? So, like, we are putting... Um, expectations on the priesthood or on this like other person that um, they are going to satisfy or fulfill um, this this like sense of um, something missing or anxiousness in my life and um, 
I don't, uh, I don't think that that's the case, you know, for priesthood or for marriage. Uh, those things, those are things that God uses to form and shape us and, and make us who we are, but, but they don't necessarily fulfill us or satisfy us exclusively. Like they are vehicles by which we can encounter God more. Um, and so I think that, uh, waiting, the image that came to my mind is like, if you knew somebody was coming over to your house, like, I don't know, there's, there's the tendency to be like, okay, like I'm going to clean the house. Right. So that when they walk in, like there's going to be a place for them to sit on the couch. Right. Like, so I'm going to be intentional about, uh, preparation of like making room for the person once they arrive. And so I think that that can be the focus of waiting. It's like, how am I preparing my internal disposition to receive the graces that God is going to give me uh, when that person who I am going to marry arrives? Or when I do take that step into religious formation or seminary life, I, I can then at least say that in this time of waiting, it wasn't passive. It was very active in terms of forming my internal disposition to receive that. Um, there's a really prominent theologian who has a really uh, cool name. Um, his name is Hans Verbon. Hans Urs von Balthasar, and um, in his book on prayer, nice, yeah. <laughs> in his book on prayer, uh, he talks about you know we have this tendency in our mind to think like prayer is something that we're doing, right? Like we're um, we have to say these things, then we have to do these things, and like that's how we prepare for Jesus to come. And and he compared it more to like a helicopter landing pad, so it's a lot more like you know through the course of the distractions of our life and like the busyness of our life it's almost like that helicopter landing pad has been overgrown with like weeds and, and like grasses and everything and so our preparation in waiting is like clearing the brush and like weeding out the the landing pad the helicopter landing pad so that the lord can more um uh, easily like enter into our life if that makes sense so nice well, we've been going for almost 50 minutes now. so I think that's the longest podcast we've yeah, this done. Is, this is the longest one for better or worse, right? Yeah, yeah there we go. Huh? <laughs> um, but uh, no, seriously, so it's been great uh, to be here and uh, to interact with all of you. Thank you for all of you for your great questions. Um, we'll continue to hold you all in prayer in a special way, um, particularly as you continue to experience like the Focus Conference. No, it's a little bit different this year as a reality of the pandemic, but still, nonetheless, there's definitely uh, God's God's grace and God's love working, and uh, it's definitely evident through the time that we've had that His grace is working in this community. So it's awesome to be able to witness to that. So, in the meantime, though, for all of you watching at home and watching online, uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, hey, maybe say a prayer for the uh, students here too uh, while they have this time of prayer. So. Yep. Adam, Adam, what do you think? Is that it? I uh, I think that about wraps it up. So thanks for, for what's that? That's a fantastic yeah, point. Nice. Yeah. Molly, the producer over yes. there. I mean, it's just great. Carrying yeah. the team. Yeah, um, great. So yeah, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where you find podcasts. You can follow us on um, Facebook and Instagram, and um, you know, uh, Region Catholic and um, Chosen the Podcast. So uh, we have season one out right now. There's like 14 episodes or something like that so you can tune in there um, but in the meantime we're really happy to be here with you guys and we're happy for all the people who listened and um, god bless all right god bless thank you